Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to again talk about the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of the world, which the church is not supposed to be a part of. We're not supposed to be of the world. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. What does that mean? What was Christ's commands to the early church that they were following that modern church is not doing? Just heard a news story about the idea that uh, many young people are leaving the church once they become of age. They're not continuing in the church. And the reality is, is that is that's true to a great degree. But the reality is the church has not continued in the ways of Christ. The church has gone astray. We were told that it would. We were told that many would uh, think that they are Christians, but would not be following in the way. They would actually be workers of iniquity while still believing that they were the church. So we want to examine what Christ really told us to do, what he was really saying, what it really meant to repent and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because we see a false church growing up within a few hundred years after Christ that uh, is almost indistinguishable uh, to some degree. If you have a shallow view of what the early church was doing, it's indistinguishable from the real church. But it was not the real church. And, you know, I, I give the example, Constantine commanded everybody in Milan become a Christian. Just commanded it. Christ never did that. <laughs> so, so why in the world should we think that that was a good idea when Constantine required it? And his command was that they all had to become Christians. But he didn't say, say repent and seek the kingdom of God. There were some very basic uh, realities in Constantine's uh, view of the church that were contrary to the ways of Christ. That uh, he began to support the church not with his personal revenue, but with the ill-gotten gains of an authoritarian government. He was, you know, he was conquering people, murdering people uh, by the thousands. Murdered his partner, his, the partner's family. And with this accumulate, of course, when he murders that family, he gets all that wealth. <laughs> he confiscates it because he claimed that they were traitors so that he could confiscate all their wealth. When Christ was crucified, who confiscated all his wealth? Well, we, we, we think that he wasn't rich. Well, he actually wasn't. It says in the Bible that he was rich before, but he made himself poor. So he didn't really own anything of consequence he had a garment that they took and they ended up tearing up uh, where that garment actually came from there's a lot of history behind that and a lot of folklore i i guess you would call it uh what that was all about i have a particular opinion based on some facts and information and the biblical text itself and uh but uh that was really seems to be the only possessions that he had that they could take and divide up. Still, they needed to kill him. Why did they need to kill him? Well, he had just cast the money changers out of the temple, 
which only the king had the right to do. The high priest could have probably done it too. Uh, but at that time, it was, there was a great deal of confusion as to who the high priest was. It's my contention that Jesus was both high priest and king. He was, I think, that the actual legitimate high priest. Because, see, at this same time, there was a lot of things. The Sanhedrin had resigned and walked out, at least a majority of them, uh, because of corruption. You had uh, different people being put in the position of high priest. It was every one of Ananias's sons. He was a rich and influential man in, in uh, Judea. And uh, he finally ran out of sons to put it. They all kind of fell into disfavor. And so they had to put somebody else in there. So he put his son-in-law in there, which was Caiaphas. So all these things are little historical records that start when you read the Bible, it puts it in the context of what was actually going on. Why was there riots that Jesus mentions to Pontius Pilate? And why was there blood involved in these riots? And what were the riots really about? And we explain all this on, on our website. And we show you that what it was was the government was accused of pilfering the Social Security Fund of the people which was kept in the temple. How did it get into the temple? By way of the money changers, who were the porters of the temple. They were the gatekeepers. That's what porter means if you go to the Hebrew. They were the gatekeepers. They were the money, the people that would receive the money. And it had to be changed into certain kinds of money because you couldn't put Roman denarii in the treasury because they had the image of Caesar on them. <laughs> so that some would call that you know taboo. We can't have the image of a man in there. And so there were, and these are different opinions. You'd have to know, not all Jews thought you couldn't use a Roman denarii. But uh, the ones in power at that time taught that. And that was the Pharisees. And so that's why Christ held up the coin, actually held it in his hands and held it up and said, whose image is on it? And then we've explained why the <laughs> Caesar's image was on the coin is because Caesar owned the coin and he had loaned them into circulation. If you don't understand how that money was all working and how that was operating, how the government was operating, you may not get a clear picture of what the early Christians were doing and what it meant to be baptized a Christian. And this is because people don't know what it means. They have created a form of Christianity that's all about emotions and feelings. And I'm not saying that everybody who goes to church is not doesn't have a spiritual life also. This is this is the complexity of mankind, is that we are emotional creatures, we are physical creatures, and we are spiritual cre creatures. But that that's kind of the trinity existence of mankind. We're, you know, we're flesh, <laughs> we're spirit, and we're mind, emotions, and feelings. And that emotions is actually connected between the mind and the body. Because most of the emotional feelings that you feel are generated in your body chemically. You know, you can you can sit down and watch a movie and get anxious. You can get afraid. Even though you know, you can actually listen to a radio program. <laughs> and, and people would sit by their radios and they would get all nervous and tense because they're listening to a story on the radio. Um, that's emotions. There's no actual threat. There's no actual monster in the radio that's going to jump out and get you. But yet you feel the fear. 
and it's very real and it actually causes your your heartbeat to increase and 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 you can do the same thing when you go to church you can do things that make you feel holy make you feel religious make you feel spiritual but it's a counterfeit it's not real now at the same time you know you can have 100 people in church some of those people may actually be receiving the Holy Spirit. Some of them may be just going into an emotional trance. And it may be an unholy spirit that's actually... In. How do you know the difference between the two? How do you know when somebody is really a Christian or they just think they're a Christian but they're actually still workers of iniquity? Well, we I just told you in the very statement that I just made. If you're a worker of iniquity, if you're unrighteous in your behavior and what you do in your works, you're probably not a Christian. And that's why James said, by your, their works you will know them. Now you can fake these works, and we've talked about that, where like a preacher is going around collecting money for an orphanage, and he collects over, I think it was $8 million, and not a dime of it ever went to an orphanage. Most of it was never recovered. Uh, he was eventually charged with fraud when somebody accidentally discovered what he was up to. And But thousands, millions, I guess, uh, I don't know how many millions, but at least thousands and tens of thousands, maybe a hundred thousand people donated to his cause, which was really him. <laughs> that was his cause. He wasn't really helping any orphans out or anything. Well, he looked like and and he he showed the videos and the pictures of all the good things that he was doing in Africa. They were good things that other people were doing. <laughs> he just had the pictures and was claiming to do it. But nobody ever checked him out, uh, at least until after he had collected $8 million. And so we don't know what happened to the $8 million, but he's already out of jail now. <laughs> so <laughs> he probably dug it up wherever he was hiding it and uh, is living living large somewhere. The reality is, is that the churches are not doing the simple little basic things that the early church was doing. And so studying history could help you out in understanding the Bible. I don't really think just study alone is the answer. Although it says in the Bible, study to show thyself approved. We've pointed out many times that that word study that you see there in the English text is translated from a Greek word that is only translated study in that one text. Normally, it's translated to be diligent. Diligent in what? Diligent in what Christ told you to do. <laughs> so it's pretty simple. So anyway, I, I'm, we're going to take a, we've, we've looked at a lot of things. Uh, you know, I mentioned history, trying to give you a context of history, because in that history, we can, it, knowing it and understanding it will allow us to read the Bible with a, from a different point of view. It's, we're kind of walking around the text of the Bible and seeing what the authors were writing, why they were writing it in the times in which it was written. To understand the words that were written in the context of the times that they were taking place, you know. Why were the Christians being persecuted? Uh, freedom of religion was guaranteed 
in by the Roman Pax Romana, by the Roman government. It was in their constitution that they they had this right that the government didn't have any right to you could have any religion you wanted as long as you weren't violating the rights of other people. And at first, Rome actually protected Christians, offered protection to Christians. They were being accused by those men who said they were Jews, but John says were not Jews. They thought they were Jews. They said they were Jews. There were people who thought they were Jews. But John said they were not, that they were actually the synagogues of Satan. So, now, does that mean Jews today are the synagogue of Satan? Does that mean the Christians today might be the synagogues or gatherings of, of Satan? Well, they might be, but that's why we take a look at the context and try to find out what the author, what they were trying to impart to us. We believe that they were inspired by the Holy Spirit, but for us to understand what they were trying to tell us, we need to be inspired by the Holy Spirit. And it has to be the real Holy Spirit because we know that the evil can counterfeit itself to make you think that it's the Holy Spirit, make it appear as an angel of light and is actually a servant of darkness, a servant of evil. So we study these things so that we, and like I said, we're walking around the text to look at it from different angles to see the wholeness of what they are trying to tell us. Uh, so anyway, we, uh, we so this is all part of a series that actually started on the subject of tithing. But you can't understand tithing until you understand what Moses was trying to teach the people. And it is my contention that Moses was trying to teach the people about the same God that Jesus Christ was trying to teach the people. And demonstrate to the people and show the people and, and and awaken the people too. And God is the same. So Moses and Jesus, who we see in the New Testament, were in agreement. They were Jesus was not really creating something that was different from what Moses was. He was creating something that was new to the people at that time because the people had gone astray. They thought they knew Moses. At least some of them thought they knew Moses. Some of them probably did know Moses. But the Pharisees and their view of the ancient text, the Torah, was skewed by a number of things. Prejudices, uh, language, sophistry, all kinds of things. And some Pharisees followed after Christ. Some Sadducees followed after Christ. Some Essenes followed after Christ. Some Romans followed after Christ because they were awakened to what he was really trying to say. So we're examining these things so that you will understand what Christ was really trying to say. And you will not be able to do that without the Holy Spirit. And some of you will hear what I'm saying and in that may realize what Christ was saying. But I, I, again, don't believe that you can really see it without being touched by the Holy Spirit. So anyway, I added a new quote to a page. I'm, I'm going to be on a page that, uh, if you go to Preparing You, that the page right now says fall. Uh, but we're going to be talking about one section of that page, which is the fall of the Roman Empire. And uh, I, I put a new quote on it just seconds before the show started. 
and it, it's from a book, a Broadview Anthology of Social and Political Thought. Uh, but in that book, in one line, this is actually volume two, uh, and it's written by a bunch of different people. It says, what chiefly attracts and chiefly benefits students of history is just this. The study of cause and the consequent power of choosing what is best in each case. So, in other words, if you don't learn from history, you're going to make the wrong choice. You're going to be condemned to making that wrong choice. With If you had the Holy Spirit, you might make the right choice. But if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're probably going to go down the wrong road. And what he's actually saying, or they're, they're actually saying, because there's multiple authors to this book, is that we live in a cause and effect universe, something you hear me say all the time. And what choices you make on an individual basis will alter the destiny of your physical, your emotional, and your spiritual identity or reality. And so you want to make the right choices. And I don't believe you can really make... Those right choices can get very specific to you. I mean, I can talk about general principles. You know, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not covet, you know, thou shalt not lie, you know, basic things. You know, kind of like the 12 rules of uh, Jordan Peterson's book. You know, they're they're just general little short rules, but they're trying to express principles in those rules. We have the Ten Commandments, which are trying to express certain basics of uh, our works and how our work should be and what our work should not include, because there's a lot of thou shalt nots in uh, the Ten Commandments. You know, you're not supposed to make covenants with other gods. What does that mean? You're supposed to honor your father and your mother. What does that mean? And, of course, the statutes of Moses are not so much laws, but they're trying to express what those Ten Commandments actually mean. Because there's only really ten laws. And Jesus breaks those ten laws down into two laws. That if you keep these two laws, you'll keep all the other ten laws. And in reality, you will keep the essence or the spirit of the statutes of Moses. Unfortunately, people try to turn the statutes of Moses into uh, government regulations. And then if you walk too many steps or, you know, <laughs> you do do something they consider to be a violation of that. He's just trying, Moses is just trying to explain the basics. You know, you, they, it was not a good idea to eat certain filter type fish that you will find in uh, the sea because you may build up toxins in your body and it was not healthy for you. If you ate pork in those days, you were likely to get uh, any one of a half a dozen different parasites or problems that would develop from eating pork in those days because of the way in which pork was being raised. And, uh, you know, almost all flu viruses come from waterfowl. And what happens is that waterfowl flu virus mutates and through the the pigs eating dead waterfowl because you're raising both of them and then that that flu virus eventually transmits to a man and then that man spreads it to another one another one and most of this takes place in northern china where there's a lot of 
pork and waterfowl growing together. Moses evidently had some insight into that and was saying, this is not healthy, don't do this. Well, we have a whole new set of unhealthy things that you should not do or eat or consume today, especially in certain amounts, such as, you know, processed sugar, uh, GMOs, um, all sorts of different foods, uh, chemicals. I mean, you go read what's on the package and there's if there's more than two words on there that you cannot pronounce quickly, chances are you shouldn't be eating that. And that's just a rule of thumb. I'm not making a new statute up. But the reality is what what Moses was trying to impart to you is that you should eat what makes you healthy, not what makes you sick. And uh, And so he was just, why? Because you're not supposed to kill yourself either with bad eating habits. So these are why he wrote the statutes of Moses. If you don't understand that, you might end up like the Pharisees, making up all kinds of rules and hoops that people have to jump through, but missing the very principle of the law, which is to love yourself and to love your neighbor with equal fervent love. And the same word there for love is also a word that can be translated charity. And so you should be charitable to yourself, charitable to your neighbor, charitable to those round about you, even charitable to your enemy. And this is the message of Christ. So we also, last week we talked a little bit about community, that people talk about this community or that community. And I said a community is a, a people who share a communion, which is communion was the sharing of bread. And why are you sharing bread? Because some people don't have enough bread. This is right where John the Baptist starts. That if you you have a neighbor who doesn't have a coat and you have two coats, share. Do the same in meats, which is to say to do the same in bread. Share what you have with others. He was not talking about socialism, which we will get into again. He was talking about charity. Socialism, generally speaking, is not charity. You know, and, and we're going to talk about some of this in the fall of Rome because... Socialism led to the fall of Rome, same as it led to the fall of Venezuela, <laughs> and uh, and the same as it led to the fall of Germany. And we're going to be talking about it in relationship to Rome and in relationship to Germany. But one of the things that, you know, if you look up socialism, people label lots of different kinds of socialism. And, um, I mean, the, the, the list just goes on and on and on and on. You can... Uh, you know, they tried to break it all up into all kinds of different, you know, there's the utopian socialism, Marxist socialism, Stalin socialism, Mao socialism, Trotskyism, all these different uh, types of socialism, including anarchism. And, but under anarchism, they break it down even more into mutualism and collective anarchism and anarchist communism and anarcho-syndicalism. Um, what is all this all about? Well, well, we'll look at some of these things. We're not going to go into it in great depth here. But I want to get to what people call Christian socialism. Is there such a thing as Christian socialism? Well, we'll talk about that when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. So anyway, briefly, we're going to just take a glimpse at this idea of uh, socialist ideologies because there's all kinds of them. And we're going to tie it in together with the fall of Rome and also a page I recently put up on Hitler, uh, which, you know, 
he claimed to be a socialist. The Nazi party is standing for a socialist party. But there is a concerted effort in the media today and in academia uh, that is trying to convince you that, no, that was not real socialism. And that's one of the big things you always hear. That's not real socialism. Because there's so many examples, you know, Stalinism and Maoism killed millions of people. And uh, uh, that, you know, they're all systems of, you know, communism is categorized under a system of socialism. And so in, in, if you look at all these different, and, and I've just mentioned a bunch of them in the first part of the show, there's also social democracy and democratic socialism. They make a distinction between those two liberal socialism, ethical socialism, this kind of uh, 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 takeoff on liberal socialism, and libertarian socialism even, which is really amazing. I'm not Again, I'm not going to go through all these things in any great detail, but the only thing that uh, I can remember right offhand, like mutual socialism, uh, talks about uh, that's kind of close to Christianity in some ways, but they have... An idea in, you know, there's three basic parts to their their view and how it makes it different, makes it the mutuals, uh, mutualism. But they have a, a an idea of reciprocity in giving. You're supposed to give gifts rather than, you know, extracting from your neighbor what you think you ought to have through men who exercise authority one over the other, which is usually contained in almost every form of socialism. With different criteria, but almost every one of them has, is some sort of covetous practice where you want something somebody else produced to be what you think would be equi- equitably distributed. And that's a covetous practice. Mutualism talks about gift giving, but they talk about reciprocity in that gift giving. In other words, if I give you a birthday present, You're expected to give me a birthday present. If I give you a Christmas present, you're expected to give me a Christmas present. If I give you a coat, you owe me somehow or other a reciprocity in giving something back to me. And that taints the giving. That is not Christian giving. Christian giving is freely give, freely receive. No reciprocity. We do have the hope that something will come back to us because we gave to you. It's no obligation that we are placing upon you. Now, that's a a real, you can follow that idea. Pretty simple. Freely give, freely receive. There is no reciprocity. You don't have to give anything back. There's no obligation in the physical realm. There may be something going on in the spiritual realm, but it's not to you. This is what is meant in the simple little basic phrase, cast your bread upon the waters and hope that it comes back to you. Because we don't have reciprocity in the kingdom of God. We only have hope that it will come back to you. There is no, you know, uh, prosperity gospel. If I give, then God will make me rich. Uh, no, not, no guarantee. <laughs> Maybe making you rich would be the worst thing in the world for you. It would be full of temptations and it would cause your demise spiritually. So, no, there is no guarantee. It doesn't work that way. But still, there's, you know, after all these other categories way down near the bottom, 
that you find a list of these kinds of things, uh, and it doesn't seem to be in alphabetical order, so I don't know why it's way down here. I mean, there's eco-socialism and regional socialism also, but there's religious socialism. And they, they say religious socialism is any form of socialism based on religious values. Well, religious values, that's a broad term. I mean, are they Christ's values? <laughs> or are they just religious values? <laughs> because what is religion? You know, I mean, we have this definition. We've gone over this. The real definition today of religion is what you think about a supreme being. That's That's religion. Well, if you think that's the definition of religion and you're reading the Bible, you're not understanding what they're talking about because that was not the definition of religion back when the Bible was written (laughs) or when it was translated. When it was translated originally and they put in this word religion instead of the word threskia, they were not, you know, the Greek word threskia, they were not thinking that religion was what you think about a supreme being. Because the definition back then, the religion was the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. The performance of your duty is a lot different than just what you think. (laughs) See? So, this is how people can creep in and seduce you away from the real message of Christ. They just change the meaning of words and then they tell you this is the way you need to go. And they're leading you away from Christ. And so this is why I want you to walk around the biblical text and look at it from different angles. Study a little bit about history. Study a little about the history of words and find out if you've been deceived. Because you might be under a strong delusion. You might think you're a Christian. You might not be a Christian. You might be one of those people who thought they were Christians. One of those many people that Jesus talks about, who thought they were Christians, but were actually workers of iniquity. And that may not be comfortable to know, but if you fit that description, if somehow or other you are working iniquity and did not even know it, and now I show you that it is actually a worker, uh, works of iniquity, you get the opportunity of repenting, which is thinking a different way. That's what repentance means. The word that we see translated into repentance means to think differently. And when you think differently, you change your mind, and I don't believe you will without the grace of God, but if you change your mind, then your actions will change. And then when your actions will change, we will say, oh, that guy might be a Christian <laughs> because we judge you by your works, by what you do. So, how do those actions change? What do you, what would you be doing different if you're a Christian? Anyway, so they talk about Christian socialism. Uh, there are individuals and groups, uh, past and present, that are clearly in the minds of some, and I'm quoting here, both Christian and socialist. I disagree. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't really think so. Uh, and, and one of them wrote a book, The Kingdom of Christ. And I, I think the guy was legitimate, but there was a lot of conflict. And he wrote a lot of stuff. And, uh, you know, it's Frederick Maurice, in case anybody wants to look him up. But uh, I, I think he was in error. And where was that error? I mean, there were, there were other people that were kind of in his circle, like G.K. Chesterton and uh, uh, Hilaire uh, Bloch. And even uh, Pope Leo the Thirteenth, uh, supposedly in his cyclical rerum, 
Novarum, uh, was advocating this Christian socialism. Well, you know, one of the most famous Christian socialists of our day is Hugo Chavez of <laughs> Venezuela. He advocated what he called Christian socialism. And uh, this is where I can throw in a phrase like, so how's that working out for him? <laughs> so, <laughs> it's not Christianity. That's not Christianity. That's just, you're just showing that label. I mean, it's like democratic socialism. Uh, if you put that word on it, then suddenly it's okay. All socialism has some element of coveting your neighbor's goods. And anything that depletes or degenerates or infringes upon hope alone, such as reciprocity, is is not Christianity. It is not following Christ. Now, I'm not condemning all the people who are socialists or all the people who think in a socialist mindset. I'm trying to uh, awaken them to, you know, so that they can, you know, kind of... The, you know, we joke with the individual in the community and talk about, says, would ask me if I would baptize him and he's kind of being facetious. I said, yeah, I would, but I might have to hold you down for a little bit longer. <laughs> so, in other words, uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit is a process. And you may have a lot of ideas that are close to Christ and following Christ and a lot of progress you've made in learning what it is to forgive and to give, but you may need to learn a little bit more. And so this is what we're trying to help people see uh, that I actually tweeted something today. I don't tweet very often. I don't even look at tweets. I can't quite figure out Twitter. <laughs> and the idea of saying anything of value in 148 characters or whatever it is that they give us, 145 characters. Uh, I don't know. It might even be more than that. I don't know. But it's a, a short little <laughs> amount. Uh, but I see conversations and I look at it once in a while. I get notices. And it is it is such a distraction. It is such, you know, here and there, uh, soundbite uh, philosophies. But occasionally I come across something that I, I think, well, I could say something there. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, I, I do. And I was going to actually look up here what it was that I said. Um, somebody was talking about how uh, women find it difficult to know whether a man, she didn't believe in toxic masculinity, but she says she doesn't know what's really in the heart of a man to know whether he is one of those few or rare toxic male masculinity people or not, because she doesn't know if they are really what they appear to be. Well, of course, that there's a lot of jokes about women who put on makeup and fix their hair and wear certain clothes and all this stuff. We're not sure you're really as good looking as you say you are. We certainly don't know by the amount of makeup that you wear if you're a good mother and wife. So we're in the same dilemma. We don't know whether you have toxic female <laughs> uh, characteristics or... Uh, and you don't know if we have toxic male characteristics. So, But my tweet was in response to this lady who's a very bright woman. Uh, and I said, the more you are willing to see and know the truth about your own heart, the clearer you will be able to see and know the truth about the hearts of others. 
male or female. Uh, and that's really where you need to go is, you know, I'm going to tell you a lot about history, a lot about other people, about, a lot about things that happen and events that happen and in history and in, sometimes out in the field where the sheep <laughs> roam. Um, but you, in order for you to understand, you need to see yourself. You need to look inwardly at yourself, your own impatience, your own anger, your own selfishness. And you need to see that. And sometimes that's uncomfortable to see in order to see the Gospels correctly. You know, constantly Jesus was challenging his apostles and challenging whole crowds with his parables. And to to take a look at their own self, they thought they were saved. They thought they believed. They thought they were they knew Moses. But they didn't. And he was showing them that they didn't. He was showing them the conflict in what they say with what they do. So what was the early church doing that you might not be doing today that would allow your sons and daughters to abandon the church that you go to when they become of age? Because if they really understood deep down in their hearts what the church was supposed to be doing, they wouldn't abandon it for the most part. They would they would find it difficult to leave. But you have an emotional church. It's like a virtual church, a virtual reality. I mean, you have all these friends on Facebook and Twitter and and social media, whatever. You know, you text all your friends. You know, you send out 100 texts to all your friends or 50 or 20 or whatever. I don't know how many friends you have. And you say hi to all of them. And they, you know, half a dozen of them respond back. And you, you get a feeling from that. That's an emotional adrenaline release. And there's psychologists who talk about that. And that's how come social media has become so addicting. But they're not really your friends. If you're really in trouble, if you really need help, a lot of them are not going to be there for you. They, you know, if you're in a quandary, they will actually edge away from you. Uh, some of them might come and that would be the test and then but when they come what are they going to do for you are they going to strengthen you or weaken you and so this is th- these are things that we get to discover as we make our own history but knowing what went before in the past what other people had to deal with can sometimes help us in the present but ultimately, we need to see the truth. And what Christ says, I am the truth. I am the truth. You are the truth. You just don't want to look at you as much as you may need to look at you. <laughs> to find out the truth about you, about your own impatience, your own intolerance, your own anger, your own lack of charity. Uh, which, you know, forgiveness is the ultimate charity. And like I said uh, last week that, you know, people say, well, yeah, I forgive them. And, and we see this in, in the in the schoolroom or, or the playground ethics department. Uh, uh, you have a fight with somebody and the teacher comes and breaks up the fight and pulls you two apart and everything. So what's going on here? Well, you know, he hit me. And uh, so you guys say you're sorry and make up. Oh, good. I'm sorry. OK, shake hands. Oh, they don't want to shake hands. (laughs) 
be nice to one another. Actually, a lot of times young men can have fights and, you know, 10 minutes later they're buddies again. Uh, and it's, it's a peculiar thing to uh, uh, that toxic male masculinity. I always think that phrase toxic male masculinity. It was toxic male masculinity that invented the phrase women and children first. And, uh, you know, it's, and, and a lot of women, they look at somebody who is direct and outspoken and they go like, oh, he's so, you know, he's so, so rude. (laughs) That's part of being a man to speak up. You know, when, you know, like the burglar, when he breaks in, the man goes and says, freeze. He freezes. You know, when a woman says, freeze. (laughs) He's not likely to freeze unless she's got a really big gun. (laughs) But a guy has this assertiveness. It's just built into him. And with that, that thing that's built into him comes a responsibility. What does Spider-Man say? You know, great responsibility or great power comes great responsibility or something to that effect. And in the same way, women have a power, and they have a responsibility with that power, too, to use it wisely. In order to know what it means to use these powers that we have wisely, we need to look sometimes at history to help us look at ourselves and find out, are we doing what those ancient Christians were doing Or are we doing something completely different? So anyway, we're going to take a look at uh, uh, this idea of uh, the fall of Rome. Because we're experiencing a fall here uh, in America today. Which, you know, I equate many of the things that America is doing with the history of Rome. I don't know when exactly it took place. 30 years ago, I, I, I was on a roof with a guy who worked at the school. And I had already noticed there was no history books in the school anymore. There were certainly when I was going to history uh, class and when I was a boy. But that was over half a century ago. But today, the kids are being graduated from high school who don't know history. And that was one of the things I pointed out to that principal I was talking to a week or so ago. Is that, no, that your schools are not good. And he's this dear friend, a close friend, a great guy. He thinks that, well, we have a pretty good school here in this community. No, you don't. Because your kids are being graduated with no real knowledge, working knowledge of history. And it makes them vulnerable. And that's why you've ended up with a cacistocracy. You don't know what cacistocracy That's a really unpopular word today. <laughs> that's a system of government which is run by the worst, least qualified, and most unscrupulous citizens. (laughs) It's not actually a form of government. It's just what you end up with. If you don't know history, if you don't understand the cause and effect of the choices that you make, you're going to end up with a cacistocracy. And so, what has caused this cacistocracy that we see today? It's lack of knowledge. Yea, but the lack of knowledge. You don't know history. You have nothing to equate it to. You can sense there's something wrong with government. And that, that may be your your spiritual sense, your spidey sense, that you can sense something. But you don't know what is wrong because you don't know history. You don't understand cause and effect. So this is why I was asked the other day to uh, tutoring uh, young people 
who are going to take a a it's kind of a Google history course. I haven't looked at it yet. Uh, I have people that have reviewed it, and they they say they can see blatant information in there that is is false, and they they're actually turning your minds. And of course, I've already done extensive studies about this and written about this because I have a collection of school books that go way back a uh, hundred years and uh, or more. And uh, I see that they're altering the way people think by what they put in these books. And they do it very subtly. Actually, we could take a little bit of a sidetrack here and we'll start in the, the second half of the program really getting in deep into this. But let's take this sidetrack so that we can kind of open up your understanding of how easy it is to start affecting people, especially people who don't look deeply uh, into things. And everybody is not going to have the same capacity to look deeply into situations and and relationships and everything. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. Because if you have the Holy Spirit, you don't need to go as deeply. But if you're also a church, in the communion of the church, in the real community of the church, uh, you will have some people that see things very deeply. They see all the little pieces and puzzles, you know. You know, like there are a lot of people know something about cars and how they work. But if I want somebody to really fix it, I want to go to a guy who really understands engines. Well, in the community of the church, you should have people that understand engines, understand how this works, understand how that works. You need to be led, not by the community, but by the Holy Spirit. What what brings the Holy Spirit into that community? Well, it's a lot of times it's how you repent, and how you repent will affect how what you're doing. If you're not doing what Christ said to do, then you maybe not. You are still in need of more repentance, and you need to take your Christianity to the next level. What's happened is they've created a shallow Christianity that doesn't take it down to the depths of the individual soul. So anyway, I came across an article, uh, Lit Viral. It's on uh, a website, Lit Viral. I was wondering, Donald Trump, Hitler, Mem causes debate. And and I bring this up because on uh, Brother Gregory Facebook, I I shared a mem that uh, an ex Air Force officer shared. Uh, and suddenly the picture disappeared, and I found out that he went to Facebook jail because he had posted that mem, and somebody complained or something, and they he had to remove it in order to get out of Facebook jail. And I I I went and looked up a mem that was similar, and I put it up under our Hitler page now. I couldn't find the exact same one, but. Why were why were they complaining so much? And why why was somebody taking such offense at a mem? I mean, you want to find offensive mems out there in uh, computer land. There's a lot of them that are offensive, and people just put them up all the time. <laughs> but anyway, so I went. I stumbled on this article, and it has two pictures on the beginning of the article. One of Adolf Hitler, and right next to it is a picture of Donald Trump. And the one by Hitler, they have a quote there: "Jews are not people." They are animals. And that was Adolf Hitler supposedly said that. And he probably did say something like that. I mean, he said a lot of bad things about Jewish people. And then they have underneath this, this picture of Donald Trump. And they say, undocumented immigrants are not people. They are animals. And they actually have these two pictures side by side twice in the same article. And and they go down and they're talking about all this stuff. And they 
also have a picture of a child in a little cage. And they say, is this what we've become on the picture? Are you Trump fans really okay with this? Well, I'm actually not okay with that picture and what we see in that picture. But most people don't know what they see in that picture because that picture was a cage set up by the parents. And the parents put the kid in that cage for a photo op and they waited till the child was crying in the cage and wanted out. The parents put him in there. This is on the street. And took that picture and now they create this mem. I'm not okay with parents using their children like that. <laughs> so anyway, we're going to talk about that and a lot more when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we were talking about this. Uh, and this is just one of thousands of articles that do the same thing. And like I said, it had two pictures at the top one of Hitler, one of Trump, put them together and equate them together and put quotes by them, both out of context. Now, I know Hitler was against the Jews and probably said something like that. But the quote that they put by Donald Trump, he was not talking about just undocumented immigrants. He was talking about a particular group of undocumented, lawless, murderous uh, people who come across the borders, and he was talking about specifically the MS-13 gangs, which are just, I mean, you can't, I can't even talk to you about the things that they do. It, it would be considered almost pornography to tell you what the, some of these gang members do. And they probably don't all do them, but they're all in the same gang. <laughs> and uh, they're criminals, and they're murderers, and they're heinous murderers. Uh, they are the butchers of people, innocent people, and uh, they really should be, you know, they, they are acting worse than animals. Animals is a good term. Animals don't usually do this, although I, I've seen some, uh, you know, wolves that, and some really uh, cruel animals being cruel to other animals just by nature, but they don't they don't think of it as cruel. They're just practicing their hunting skills they pull down young they 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 rip open the guts of the elk uh, so that they you know their entrails are falling out and they uh, this allows them to more easily without getting hurt pull down the, the weakened elk and but they're hunting to live they're predators these guys are human beings who are acting like predators and taking delight in it and uh just for the sake of killing. And um, so they're not, they are like animals <laughs> at times. And uh, I, I hope they repent. I hope they turn around and, and become uh, good men again. But right now, in order to protect the people that they're coming in contact with, they probably need to be deported or moved out or thrown into a jail or something. So anyway, uh, this article doesn't hardly point that out. And like I say, they repeat these two pictures side by side with the same quotes again and again. And then they have this picture of a child in a cage. And on the picture it says, is this what we've become? Are you Trump fans really okay with this? And in the article they say, children were being separated from their parents and put in cages. Well, actually, the parents were being put in jail because the parents came across the borders illegally. 
They were put in very nice jails, very comfortable jails for the most part. There are some jails that are less comfortable that are for uh, immigrants to come across because you have to actually even separate some of the people who come across the border because some of them are very violent and uh, have records already and you don't want to put them in the same jail with somebody who's just coming across to find a better life or might be seeking asylum. So they have different jails for different people. And they're they're doing a remarkably good job, in my opinion, for as difficult task it is. They just had several hundred people. Evidently, it, it appears that drug smugglers dug the tunnel, but then migrants or immigrants found the tunnel and they uh, crawled underneath the, the fence uh, under the barricade and immediately turned themselves in. And uh, there was a large number of children. There's several hundred people. And there was a large number of children with them, uh, parents taking their children. They turned themselves in because they knew how humanely they would be treated. <laughs> and it, it was much safer turning themselves in than risking running into some of the drug runners or try, traveling across the desert. They may have already been hungry and they knew they would be well treated, well fed. And, you know, it's not the way to come into the country. They could have gone to lots of places along the way. Some of them paid as much as $6,000 to get to the these, you know, find this hole under the fence and, and get across. Uh, and I understand their desperateness. And it's, but the fact is, is what the government supposedly wants is to start documenting these aliens coming in, finding out who's who and separating the really bad guys from the really good guys. And they, it's against the law to put children in jail with their parents even if it's a real nice, comfortable jail. so they And also they have the problem of the fact that many of these children coming across, sometimes they are actually kidnapped and stolen. They're not really with their parents. <laughs> but people know we're treated better if we come with a child. So they steal a child. And then there's the problem of thousands of children are being sex trafficked across the border. So... It's a dilemma. You mean they don't come with a badge saying I'm a sex trafficker and this is not my child. They're saying this is their child. So you have to sort this out. And people lie. And so this is a very difficult situation. So they separate the kids out. And the kids are put in very good facilities, uh, very clean facilities. They're, they're given good meals and all this stuff. This picture is a lie. This picture, that child is in a dog cage. That was set up. You can see it's on a plastic tarp. This is actually on a public street. And uh, that child was put in that cage by their parents. And their parents are there demonstrating, trying to create a photo op so that idiot news people (laughs) and mem makers will say, this is what the government is doing. No, this is what those parents did to their own child. He wanted out of the cage. He was crying to get out. His parents are right outside the cage. And they're not letting him out because this is a great photo op. And they're doing this to manipulate your thinking. The same reason that the guy who wrote this article put Donald Trump and Hitler together. And he doesn't explain that. Now, eventually, right underneath that, he puts Donald Trump and Hitler together again with the same quotes, same pictures on his lit viral web page and equates them goes down in germany changed the perception during 1930s to make poor treatment da, 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 and industrialized murder etc of the jews and now he, he equates that with donald trump 
who is talking about deporting criminals like MS-13 from the country because they're a danger to the citizens he's sworn to protect. There's no no similarity. You keep going down in the article and eventually they do mention way down at the bottom of the article that uh, that he was talking about MS-13 gangs. In one little short line they make referring to MS-13 gangs. But then they say in two sentences in a row that begin with however... However, even to brand these gang members as animals is bad judgment and shows a lack of understanding of the bigger picture. So now they're going to tell you what the bigger picture is. MS-13 was a gang that began in California and grew in the U.S. prison systems. And then they say, real quickly, before being deported back below the border. Okay, so somehow or other, he's just equated that these gang members are a creation of California and the United States. No, they were deported because they were already illegal immigrants <laughs> who did become this MS-13 in, gang, in gangs within prisons. You have to look at what goes on in prisons. Most people are unaware of what goes on in prisons. I actually have contact with people sometimes on a daily basis who are uh, prison guards and are dealing with people in prisons. I visited prisons. You don't know what's going on in those places. But the reality is that this is an imported problem. And again, I would love to try to help these people out. But I don't want to endanger other people while doing so. And one way to to not endanger other people is to take those hardened criminals who murder for fun and deport them back to their country. And they'll be put in a prison in Mexico. But that prison in Mexico will treat them way different than the luxury prisons that we have here in America. We have a a variety of prisons in America. You know, you can go to one that's, you know, it's like a country club. Or you can go to another one that, uh, you know, where you have a TV hooked to the bottom of everybody's bunk. And, uh, you know, so there are a variety. Or you can go to Knife River where things are a little bit worse, <laughs> a little bit more restrictive. But the reality is is that this, this article is swaying people's thinking. It is feeding a narrative. It is not good news. It is fake news. It is trying to, uh, it is actually hate news because it is trying to get you to hate Donald Trump. Now, I didn't vote for Donald Trump. I And I hate the fact that I have to become an advocate of uh, you know defending him, I'm not advocating him. I think the system is extremely flawed. I think it is that uh, cacistocracy where you're getting people. I mean, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Why in the world, in 400 million people, that's the best we could do? Uh, you know, he is the president of the United States. He is doing whatever he can do, and you know, I have, I have nothing against him. I. I personally don't have anything against Hillary Clinton, but Hillary Clinton, she had she had all kinds of criminal activity in her life. Uh, if we could deport her, uh, we should have. But anyway, I mean, her. But the reality is, that she is a product of where she came from. The same as Bill Clinton is a product of where they came from, their history. But do you know what their history is? I mean, did you know Hillary's dad took over after Al Capone? <laughs> probably didn't know that. Do you even know who Bill Clinton's real dad is? <laughs> you probably don't know that. 
And we're not going to go into it here because it's top secret. But the final thing in this article, which I just find absolutely despicable, as well as all the people who are attacking everybody from Melania Trump to their, 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 uh, I guess he's now a teenage son. Why in the heck are they picking on them? But it's all part of this hate thing. It's group identity thinking, you know, and putting people together. But they pick on his mom, uh, Trump's mom. Um, was it Mary Ann? I can't remember her full name now. Yeah, Mary Ann uh, McLeod, uh, who came to this country in 1929, around 1930. Uh, and it says she illegally immigrated to the U.S. That is absolutely a bold-faced lie. Immigration Department said there is no evidence anywhere that she ever did anything that was illegal in immigrating to the U.S. Her sisters were already here. She came from a really poor community in uh, Scotland and the Hebrides. And uh, she came here on a visa and immediately uh, announced to the immigration people that she intended to stay and work in the country, which was absolutely legal. She was following the legal process. You file these papers. They were filed and that she was going to work in the United States in hopes of becoming a U.S. citizen, which they could do then by statute. So she didn't break any laws. This is just this is just hate speech, and it's condoned. And you, I could put the link to this article up on Facebook, and they would not say anything about it. That would be perfectly okay, and uh, along with a lot of other things. But the point that I'm trying to make is that they're manipulating your mind. They're doing the same thing with the Bible by not giving you the whole story, not giving you the whole truth, not telling you the context in which these things happen. You know, that Marianne uh, McLeod, if you follow her whole life, she was a remarkable lady, an extremely charitable lady, an industrious lady, a hardworking, quite a, quite a woman. She, she is deserving of praise in many, many ways. And to say that she was an illegal immigrant is just absolutely a bold-faced lie. And they're doing it to feed the hate and the narrative of hate in this country. They don't care who you hate. Right now, it's Donald Trump. But they'll have you hating somebody else because you become addicted to that hate. You're not supposed to hate your enemy even if Donald Trump was your enemy. You're not supposed to hate Hillary or Donald Trump. You're supposed to love your enemy. But you need to find out what love is, and you cannot find out what love is until you look at yourself. And you look at yourself in the context of your history and the context of the history of mankind. Because whether you like it or not, you're all members of mankind. So anyway, back to the fall. The fall of Rome. The fall of Babylon. The fall of Babylon the Great. The fall of America. We need to take a look at that. A greater and greater examination in hopes of examining our own selves, our own motives, our own inclinations, so that we can, the more we know about ourselves and the hate that creeps in, the judgment that creeps in, the sanctimonious hypocrisy that creeps in, uh, the, the more we can know the truth and the more we can know Christ. Christ says that I am the truth. So we want to know him. But we want to know the real Jesus Christ. Not the Jesus Christ that that people are drawing for us. The same as people were drawing pictures of, you know, Marianne and and uh, of Donald Trump and of MS-13 and all these things. We, we want to see ourselves 
And then we can see the world in relationship to what the world is really all about. So anyway, uh, I begin, if you've if you gone to the page on uh, fall, uh, which I cover the fall of Rome on, and I'll probably have a page that's dedicated just to the fall of Rome. And why was that mem that I, I shared taken out? Mostly because I was saying, in that mem it was saying that Hitler was a socialist. And that's why I talked about socialism in the first part of the program a little bit in the first hour is because of the fact that uh, is socialism good? Is there such a thing as Christian socialism? Was Jesus Christ a socialist like, like uh, Chavez thought? <laughs> well, Chavez had something wrong. The reality is Jesus Christ was not a socialist because of socialism, there's I have found no form of socialism that does not believe in some sort of reciprocity of gift-giving. And like I say, some are closer than others. Most, all socialism, now Hitler socialism was based on race, Aryan race, national socialism, and nationalism in his view depended upon being a member of the Aryan race. And he was against almost all other races. And he picked on the Jews because if you... If you seize their bank account, you get more money <laughs> because they happen to have a lot of the money and control in Germany. So, you know, why? He also picked on the Roma, which we would call gypsies. He killed at least a million of them by most uh, figures. And they didn't have much money. Uh, but uh, there wasn't as many of them either. And so he killed a large percentage of them and murderously so. But really, like I said, he was dealing with the currency of hate. This is how he rose to power is he stimulated hate. And so when we see these people hating, starting the I hate Trump clubs, they don't realize it. But they're setting the foundation for the for the new regime of hate, whatever that may be, whoever comes along. You know, you know, all of a sudden Trump's out of the picture. He retires. It goes away. Who are you going to hate now? You're a, you've been addicted to hating. So you're going to want to repeat that. You're going to have to hate somebody else, something else. And so it's bad. That is not Christianity. That is the opposite of Christianity. You're not supposed to be hating these people. And the real power is in loving those people. But then, you, again, you have to have real love and find out what real love looks like. So anyway, I say, in fact, the full... Uh, of most societies and civilizations is almost entirely due to a gradual loss of civic virtue in each individual amongst its citizens. Civic, uh, civic virtue is the cultivation of habits important for the success of a local community and the national society. How in the world is the habit of hate going to promote a healthy community. How in the world can you equate the habit of hating somebody, whether you real or imagined enemy, how is that going to raise up your society? We talked last week about you're either spiraling up as an individual or spiraling down as an individual. And the amount of spiraling up people <laughs> and the and the rate at which they're spiraling up will determine whether or not society totally collapses or not. And the amount of people that are uh, spiraling down and the momentum that they create in that downward spiral is going to determine also 
the the balance of those two are going to determine the success or failure of societies from Babylon to modern day uh, Babylon. <laughs> so anyway, uh, are you spiraling up or spiraling, spiraling down? Are you listening to the gospel of hate or the gospel of love? Uh that's a, that's what it comes down to. Are you reacting to the gospel of love? And so what was the gospel, the good news? I mean, you can go look on CNN and MSB, CBS and and all these different I can't even remember all the different names. Most of the most of the media is spreading a gospel of hate Trump. And I I don't really care whether it's Trump or Anybody else, I think, you know, it's really despicable and it's hate Melania. <laughs> like, what did she do? Uh, but uh, that's how it spreads. It, it, you begin to have to hate everybody, you know, all Republicans, all, you know, name calling, everything. They're feeding you hate. It doesn't matter who it's for. They're addicting your heart and mind and soul to hate. They are bringing you into the downward spiral of society. Christ was bringing you the other way. And that's what Christianity was called, the way. And there are a lot of people claiming to be Christians and are actually spreading this downward motion of society by by infecting each individual in society with this downward emotional hate-fed scenario. And you have to reverse that. It's not that you just stop hating. That's not enough. You have to reverse the process. You have to start actively loving. And and love by its nature is sacrifice. And this is this is one thing that we're we're gonna go into deeply, consistently, is that society is originally composed of families. That's where society is born. It's born in the family. Man and woman come together and the next generation, the next society is born. That's that's how society progresses. It's through that natural process. So anything that interferes with that natural process or the healthiness of that natural process, you know, like putting your children in jail in a dog cage for a photo op, that would be interfering with the natural process. That would not be a good thing. But also feeding your children hate that they're supposed to hate this group or that group or this man or that his wife and his children. Why are you supposed to be doing that? You're feeding them hate and you're bringing them down. That's interfering. The way in which the life becomes more abundant in a family is that the family lays down its life for its fellow family member. And then if in order to become the family of society, you know, the family of mankind, each family has to lay down its life for its neighbor. You have to love your neighbor as yourself. This is this is the spiritual process manifested in a physical way. If you don't manifest that in a physical way, you will become a part of the downward spiral. You will you will either start to hate or you will be dragged down by the hate of others. The only defense is to go the other way. In order to go up, you must lay willingly lay down your life. Socialism takes away that choice. Remember that original quote that I gave you where it says, The study of the cause and the consequent power of choosing. 
If they take away the power of choosing, they take away your power to spiral up. You know, I heard a story recently, you know, we we talk about sex trafficking and child trafficking. I mean, this is a big, huge, billion-dollar industry now. And it is kept under wraps because of all kinds of things, which I don't want to go into. But there was a story of a guy who actually goes in and tries to free these children. And he was pretending to be someone buying children. And he supposedly bought this little boy or was going about to buy this little boy. And so he was carrying him around because he wanted to buy this boy. And there was this little girl following him. And uh, as he was going around pretending to be a buyer. And he has a candy bar in his pocket. These little candy bars. And he handed one to the little girl to kind of placate her or something. And... uh And she immediately broke it in half and gave half of it to the boy he was carrying. And he realized that little girl was his, the sister of the boy he was carrying. Now, he was there for the purposes of rescuing these children and eventually did. Long story. But he eventually adopted both that boy and the girl (laughs) himself. And uh, uh, he now can't do undercover work because he's so well known. But the, the reality is, is that that child, these are tiny little children, had this sense that she got something, she broke it in half and shared it with her brother. That's Christ in her doing that. The mother who risks her life, who who knows that if I have this baby, I could die in the process. There's actually maybe a medical reason why she's at risk. And she insists, I'm going to have the baby anyway. And sometimes I know of cases where the woman did die, but the child lived. And she knew that was a possibility, a strong possibility. But she wasn't going, she laid down her life for her child. I know of a woman who was raped, I mean brutally, brutally raped by a total, total stranger. And she chose and got pregnant and chose to have the baby. Her and her husband are raising the child now. These are people laying down their lives for others. Every good mother, every good father daily lays down their life for their children. We need to expand on that and lay down our lives for our neighbor's children to love our neighbor's children as much as our own children. Socialism takes away that choosing because it's in that choosing is where the Holy Spirit is nurtured and can start that upward spiral. And we're going to talk more about that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to uh, Keys of the Kingdom. There is this thing that we were just talking about, civic virtue. Civic virtue, in in some sense, is the same as social virtue. It's basically virtue. It's just got the word civic in front of it. (laughs) And uh, so then you have to understand, uh, if you're talking about uh, uh, civil law, etc., that's the law that men make for themselves. But before... Man made his own government with Cain and Nimrod and others. There was the government of God. And in the government of God, it is God that defines what virtue is. <laughs> and it's defined in creation. It's obvious. Right reason will bring you to the realization of what virtue is. But uh, right reason is hard to come by. It's, it's as rare as common sense today. But it's there. It's there for the 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 receiving or taking of it and uh, incorporating it. And the more you begin to act according to right reason and civic or social virtue, 
the more you will understand about it because it's a learn-by-doing process. So anyway, uh, civic virtue is made manifest in the dedication of citizens, and we're supposed to be citizens of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, to, according to Paul anyway, to the common welfare of their community. And that community for Christians should be a Christian community, even at the cost of their individual interests. In other words, I lay down my life so that I could pick up life more abundantly. That doesn't mean I just go and kill myself, that I lay down my life for others, for my fellow man, which is what religion was. That pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man required some sacrifice on your part. You could just go in and watch the game, or you could give up some of your time, some of your energy, some of your resources for the welfare of others. That's Christianity. That is what it means to follow the way. That process of sacrifice. That's Christ in you compelling you through faith to sacrifice for the welfare of others. So the sacrifice you make, you want to be the kind that strengthens the poor. It's tough love that strengthens the poor. It's uh, it's self-indulgent love, you know, indiscriminate charity that weakens the poor. And so you want to be a part of a community that understands that and helps out those who are willing to help themselves. And one of the ways you know that people are willing to help themselves is that they're willing to help others. And so, you know, like the man who was carrying the child, he was there to rescue, but claiming he was there to buy. Uh, when he saw that little girl break that candy bar in half and give to his her brother, he thought, I want to raise this child. I want to protect this child. And uh, so anyway, the because he saw something, you know, that was already in him. He was willing, he's risking his life to save others. And there's other people, I mean, there's just story after story after story dealing with this. But uh, I had an email last night, or actually a contact last night. Somebody mentioned me in a Facebook post about somebody who's, back east uh, I think they're in Alabama and more than a year ago I think now it's been quite a while they had their child taken away now they weren't all doing everything quite as wisely as I would do (laughs) but I have dealt with this for decades now of overzealous uh, government uh, officials in that uh, that uh, cacistocracy Stealing children from parents who are actually pretty good parents. They're not the best. They may have some flaws. They may have some ideas that are incorrect. But they genuinely care about that child and they are trying to help that child. And they take that child away from those parents. And I I know of many, many cases, which is hard to find out about because of the fact that they, they cover this up. Many cases where these child, children are abused, terribly abused in government custody. And whenever that happens, you can almost guarantee that the people in in the government, in this cacistocracy, are going to link arms and cover up the abuse of that child. And in order to prevent that information coming out of their uh, indiscretions, their errors, their failings, they will demonize the parents and make sure that parent never gets that child back because that would admit they would be having to admit that they made a mistake to begin with. 
that they were in error, that they did something wrong. And they are not, they are not that kind of person. You know, a lot of people say that they think I always think I'm right. What I think today is a product of being willing to admit I was wrong before. I have admitted yesterday and the day before and I, uh, many, many times that I was wrong about something. And that has allowed me to change my view until what I now believe is true. If you can show me where I'm wrong about some of the things that I suggest and share and preach, then have at it. You know, I'm I'm available. <laughs> show me where I'm wrong. Uh, but anyway, the, the you're giving power to the wrong people. And you're giving them that power usually because of sloth or avarice on your part. And that's why, uh, and that sloth and avarice is evidence of a lack of that civil virtue. Because if you're really not a part of the world, but in the world, and you're really a part of the civic virtue of the kingdom of heaven, then you will be doing what Christ said. You will be gathering in the tens, hundreds, and thousands as Christ commanded his apostles to make the people gather in for the purposes of social welfare in a true Christian community that leaves the power of choice in the hands of the people. Like again, the study of that history is chiefly the study of the cause and the consequences of the power of choice. Once you understand that power of choice, you need to have that power of choice. So I'm saying that, okay, you're going to give to this minister or you're going to give to that minister and then that minister. See, the way the tens, hundreds, and thousands work is ten families gathered together in a free assembly. That's what they called it, a free assembly. And you can call it a congregation, but a congregation is really a free assembly. It's not a corporate church or anything. It's just the people sitting down in a free assembly. The word synagogue really has to do with ten. You had a synagogue when you had ten men gathered together. That's a synagogue. Uh, that's what the word means. You can go, you can find all kinds of documentation that that's, that was the criteria for a synagogue is that you had 10 men and those men were heads of families usually and they gathered together and that's a synagogue. And then more and more synagogues, you could have 10 synagogues gathered together and have, you know, a bigger synagogue. But it was based on the tens times 10. And then this would go on up till you got to 5,000 or 10,000 people. You just repeat that pattern. In the synagogue, in the 10 family congregation, you pick a minister who is an 11th man. And that man gathers together in another congregation of nine other men like himself serving 10 families. And he forms a congregation of ministers. That's his congregation. The other congregation is not his. It doesn't belong to him. It's not an entity. It's not an unincorporated association. It's just a free assembly. It's not his free assembly. His free assembly is those nine other ministers he is gathering with. If he wants his congregation to tie, to support his ministry to others, then he needs to allow them the choice to do that. It's not a forced offering. It's a free choice. 
But he must also gather with nine other ministers like himself and contribute to his minister, which is the minister of those ten ministers, who is also gathering together with nine other ministers like himself. And this pattern repeats itself. This is the structure of the kingdom of God. And to some degree, early Americans understood this better than modern Americans. And they, their social welfare was entirely taken care of by uh, their churches. That, I mean, if you needed any kind of social welfare, you went to church. You didn't go to the government. And even, you know, they talk about public school, and I've, I've mentioned this recently. You know, there was a bill put into the idea of having a public school. And these are things that we'll talk about if we, I start uh, critiquing this uh, educational thing. But uh, Jefferson in, uh, presented a bill to Virginia to have public schools. And so I just said the word public schools. What did you think? Oh, you mean like the schools we have down here? No, that's not what Jefferson was thinking when he said public schools. He was talking about a one-room schoolhouse built out of logs by the militia. <laughs> Voluntarily built by the militia uh, in a, within five miles of everybody in the ward, which he called the Republic Wards. All the wards were republics. And then a number of wards would gather together and they would form what he called uh, the Republic Counties. Uh, the choice and the power of choice and the coming together and doing these things to create this school, it didn't pass, by the way. People had schools. They already did this. They didn't want a bill saying that they had to do this. They were already doing it because they already had the choice because they were already living in republics where they were free from things public, where they could make these choices. The choice was in their hands. The context of what he was saying doesn't fit in our present context of history. We're at a different place in history. We're doing something very different than what they were doing back then. So you can't apply those words, you know, like public school. I mean, his public schools, the teachers were entirely supported by free will offerings of the people. Uh, the building was built by the militia, uh, who are the same people who are building the roads. Uh, these are the people who go, get together and build all the roads in their ward. And the people in the next ward build a road up to their road, and they're responsible for the, ro war, the roads in their ward. <laughs> and the reason they're building these roads and they want them really good is because they want to do business with people outside, get, get commodities coming in, sending products out. And so they had a vested interest in doing this. It wasn't through taxation. It wasn't through everybody being uh, sureties for debt. Uh, it was about working together as communities. Back to that community thing. If you're not taking care of all the social welfare of your community through choice, through free choice, through what we call liberty, that power of choice is the power of liberty, the exousia of liberty, then you're not in a Christian community. If you say you're in a Christian community, but all your welfare in that community is provided by men who exercise authority one over the other, you're not doing what Christ said. And you are lacking civic virtue in the kingdom of heaven. You, you are not doing what the early church was doing. You're not even doing what the church was doing 200 years ago. And so, if you're not doing that, 
when your kids become 18, 19, 20, and go out and get their student loans from the government that exercises authority, student loans that will follow them till they're dead, that's not Christianity. Uh, their communion, their daily bread is not coming from the church. Their daily bread is coming from men who exercise authority. They're getting the food stamps, the subsidies, the uh, free education, everything from men who exercise authority one over the other. They're not getting, why don't you send your kids to homeschool and Christian homeschools? Because you're not doing what Christ said. Your churches are not doing what the early church did. You're not even doing what the church did 200 years ago. No wonder they're leaving. Their daily bread is somewhere else. It's not at the church. I mean, there's actually churches that put, well, that's not our responsibility. We're just dealing with their spiritual life. Well, guess what? If the physical body dies, the spiritual life is over. (laughs) You're gone. You're out of the picture. No. When he said, feed my sheep, he wasn't just talking about spiritual stuff. When John the Baptist said, share your coats, do the same in meats, he didn't want to just talk about spiritual stuff. He was talking about actually taking care of one another. But people aren't doing that. People are doing quite the contrary to that, and yet they're still calling themselves the church. The loss of the civic virtue in the kingdom of heaven is seen in a lack of individual civility towards neighbor and stranger. That's one of the things we were to love this, not only our neighbor, but the stranger in our midst. And even Moses said we were to give drink to our enemy. Which is the same thing. Christ wouldn't. He said, love thy enemy as thyself. He was not really saying anything different than what Moses was saying. Despite what you think Moses was saying. See, you, you all look at the Old Testament through the eyes of the Pharisees who got it wrong. Jesus said they got it wrong. Why are you going back to the Pharisees and saying, What was Moses saying? No wonder you can't see what Moses was saying. That Moses was saying the same thing that Christ was saying. You can't see that because your view of the Old Testament is the view that the Pharisees had. It's not the view that the Essenes had. Certainly not the view that the uh, uh, Sadducees had. It was a Pharisaical view. And although there's you know, nuances and differences in these different groups today, because there's all Jews don't agree today. Although there many of the Jewish community, uh, they're kind of divided still to this day between Pharisaical view and the Sadducee view. Kind of what you see in many of the Jewish communities in Israel is the Sadducee view. They're not religious. They just think they're Jews. And, you know, like the, the government in Israel today violates almost every rule that Moses laid down uh, as a matter of policy. But they still call themselves Jews. Well, the Sadducees still call themselves Jews too. And, but there are, there are Jews in Israel that are more like the Pharisees and there are probably some Jews in Israel that are more like the Essenes. And I've actually seen Jews that are more like Christ <laughs> than some of the Christians I know. So I don't like to divide people up into Jew and Christian and all this stuff. I think most Christians or many Christians, and Jesus evidently thought many Christians would be labeled Christians and were not actually Christians. And so you want to make sure you're one of the ones that are actually doing what Christ said. So 
this idea of this loss of civic virtue in the kingdom of heaven because there's you can call it social virtue you can just call it moral virtue you can call it all kinds of different things uh, this is one of the first signs of the loss of civic virtue is this loss of civility and uh, incivility is a general term of social behavior lacking in civic virtue or good manners on a scale from the rudeness or lack of respect for elders to to vandalism, hooliganism, uh, through public drunkenness, uh, threatening behavior. Uh, word incivility is uh, derived from the Latin incivilis, meaning not of a citizen. So you can tell somebody is not of the citizen of citizenship of the kingdom of heaven if they're practicing hate. If they're hating whoever they think is their enemy. If they're, but in order to be truly uh, socially virtuous in the kingdom of heaven, you need to be practicing love. Your choices need to, and, and love is not an inactive word where you sit in your pew and you love your neighbor. You have to actually do what Christ said, sit down in small home church groups, 10 families, and gather together through a network of ministers who are also sitting down in their ministerial congregations so that those 10 families are connected with 90 other families and they become 100. And the common bond that they have in them is that they are all come to sacrifice to God and their fellow neighbor in the performance of their duty to God and their fa- fellow neighbor and their fellow man. In a network bound by love, bound by that charity, through faith, hope, not not reciprocity, no guarantees, hope, and charity, which is also defined as love. So that that is the process of seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And so if we see this incivility, this practice of hate uh, in our communities, we need to stand against it. That's why, you know, like here I am finding myself defending Trump. I'm not really defending Trump. I'm warning you of the quicksand of hate and animosity and judgment, whether it's Trump or blacks or Jews or uh, who do people hate? LBGT <laughs> sinners, you're not supposed to hate the sinner. You want real power over the evil you see, and we see a lot of evil out there today. You know, those parents who were putting their child in that dog cage in order to create a photo op to advance their political agenda were abusing that child. I mean, parents are out there actually uh, uh, get, putting their children in literal chemical lobotomy by giving them hormone treatment because their five-year-old or eight-year-old thinks he's a girl. He's a boy, but he thinks he's a girl. He's identified a little bit as a girl, and they they promoted that idea. You know, uh, they're actually hurting, harming their child by doing this. They're not allowing him the choice 
they're getting, they're mixing in with the choice. And they're, they're promoting it. I've seen, the, you know, parents do this with sports. You know, they say, well, my boy wanted to play baseball. But then they're out there pushing their boy way beyond what he wanted to do until he actually gets to the point where he almost hates baseball. In some cases, I've actually seen that. Because they were trying to live their life through their child. They were not giving him the freedom of choice. And the idea that a you know five-year-old or eight-year-old or 10-year-old or 12-year-old can make a choice that will physically alter him forever, he should not be given that choice. He should be given choices to ponder these problems, think about these problems, explore these problems to some degree. But the parent is there to protect the child, not to influence him and force him to go a particular way. And I tell you that if the Christians were actually doing what the early Christians today, modern Christians were actually doing what early Christians were doing today, you would not see so many children leaving that Christian church. But the world is a great temptation today. And now people have been so far removed from an actual Christian community, they don't even believe that it's possible. That people could actually come together in a free assembly and take care of all the social welfare needs of that community. They, they don't think that's possible. And it's really very, it is impossible without the Holy Spirit. But it's not impossible with the Holy Spirit. So how do you bring in that Holy Spirit? Well, you have to turn around and start walking the other way, start going the other direction. Now, I've, I've drawn you a picture of what the kingdom of God looks like on earth as people coming together, sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, and learning what it means to love your neighbor as yourself, to forgive your neighbor as yourself. As you want to be forgiven so much, you also forgive others. So, are you gathering in a network? That's why we created the network. You can go to the websites, preparingyouandhisholychurch.org. And sign up for the network. Somebody wrote me this morning and wanted to get together with certain other people like himself who were unnumbered. I said, the only way, you know, we're not going to put give you a list. We're not going to go say, oh, go contact. No. Join the network. Start walking in the ways of Christ. Start doing what the early church was doing. And people, as they begin to trust you, they will make the power of choice as to whether they want to reveal themselves to you or not. I'm not going to take away that choice from other people by revealing who's who to people I don't even know. That the only thing that they have done to move towards the kingdom of God is send me an email. I don't know who they are. The same way with this family, Holmes family, who had their child taken away and they're still trying to get it back. First thing I said, they need to get in the network of the tens, hundreds, and thousands did they do it? No. Uh, they do. They have built some, uh, a little tiny network of support and, and more power to them. But that's because they care about their baby. But when they are willing to join a network of tens, hundreds, and thousands that they don't even know because they don't know a thousand people in our network. I don't know a thousand people in our network. When they're willing to do that, then I know that they may care about other people's children as much as they care about their own. And that, that tells me something about their works. So we didn't get very far, but we'll get farther in this and the afternoon show. 
Till then, peace on your house, and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.